Section One, Part Seven. Having enjoyed the first secret, I was looking forward to knowing the second secret. Eventually, one day, the secretary explained the second secret he had promised. The second secret was a fifty-page scheme prepared for the high-ranking officials working in the ministry for annihilating Islam altogether within a century's time. The scheme was comprised of fourteen articles. The scheme was closely guarded for fear that it might be obtained by Muslims. The following are the articles of the scheme. One, we have to form a well-established alliance and an agreement of mutual help with the Russian Tsar in order to invade Bukhara, Tajikistan, Armenia, Khorasan, and its neighbourhood. Again, a sound agreement must be established with Russians in order to invade Turkish lands bordering Russia. Two. We must establish cooperation with France and Russia in demolishing the Islamic world, both from within and from without. Three. We must sow very ardent rows and controversies between the Turkish and Iranian governments. And emphasize nationalistic and racist feelings in both parties. In addition, all the Muslim tribes, nations, and countries neighboring one another must be set against one another. All the religious sects, including the extinct ones, must be recovered and set against one another. Four parts from Muslim countries must be handed over to non-Muslim communities. For example. Medina must be given to the Jews, Alexandria to the Christians, Imara in Palestine to the Saiba, Sabians, people since ancient times that followed no religion. They are mentioned in the Quran al-Karim. Kamansha to the Nusariya group, who have divinized Ali. Mosul to the Yazidis, the Iranian Gulf to Hindus, Tripoli to the Druzes. Cars to the Armenians and Alawis, and mascots to the Kariji group. The next step should be to arm these groups so that each of them will be a thorn in the body of Islam. Their areas must be widened till Islam has collapsed and perished. Five, a schedule must be planned to divide the Muslim and Ottoman states into as small as possible local states that are always at loggerheads with one another. An example of this is today's India, for the following theory is common: divide and conquer. Six, it is necessary to adulterate Islam's essence by adding interpolated religions and sects into it, and this we must devise in such a subtle manner that the religions we are to invent should be compatible with the sensuous tastes and aspirations of the people among whom we are going to spread them. We shall invent four different religions in the Shiite countries. One, a religion that divinizes Hazrat Hussein. Two, a religion that divinizes Jafar Sadiq. Three, a religion divinizing Mahdi. Four, a religion divinizing Ali Riza. The first one is suitable for Kabela. Second one for Isfahan. The third one for Samara. Fourth one for Khorasan. In the meantime, we must degenerate the existing four Sunni madhabs into four self-standing religions.
After doing this, we shall establish an altogether new Islamic sect in Najd, and then instigate bloody rows among all these groups. We shall annihilate the books belonging to the four madhabs so that each of these groups will consider themselves to be the only Muslim group and will look on the other groups as heretics that are to be killed. 7. Seeds of mischief and malice such as fornication, pederasty, alcoholic spirits and gambling will be scattered among Muslims. Non-Muslims living in the countries concerned will be used for this purpose. A tremendous army of people of this sort is on requisition for the realization of this goal. 8. We should spare no effort to train and educate vicious leaders and cruel commanders in Muslim countries, to bring them into power and thus to pass laws prohibiting obedience to the Sharia, religious injunctions. We should put them to use, to the extent that they should be subservient enough to do whatever the Ministry of the Commonwealth asks them to do, and vice versa. Through them we should be able to impose our wishes on Muslims and Muslim countries by using laws as an enforcement. We should establish a social way of life, an atmosphere wherein obeying the Sharia will be looked on as a guilt and worshipping as an act of regression. We should trick Muslims into electing their leaders from among non-Muslims. For doing this, we should disguise some of our agents as Islamic authorities, bring them into high positions so that they may execute our wishes. Footnote The British were successful in these endeavours of theirs. They brought their Masonic disciples such as Mustafa Rashid Pasha, Ali Pasha, Fuad Pasha and Talat Pasha and degenerate people of Armenian or Jewish origin into power, and other Masonic men of religion such as Abdullah Jevdet, Musakazim, Zia Gokalb, and Abdu were made religious authorities. 9. Do your best to prevent the learning of Arabic. Popularize languages other than Arabic, such as Persian, Kurdish, and Pushtu, Ashto. Resuscitate foreign languages in the Arabic countries and popularize the local dialects in order to annihilate literary, eloquent Arabic, which is the language of the Quran and the Sunnah. 10. Placing our men around statesmen, we should gradually make them secretaries of these statesmen. Through them, we should carry out the desires of the ministry. The easiest way of doing this is the slave trade. First of all, we must adequately train the spies we are to send forth in the guise of slaves and concubines. Then we must sell them to the close relatives of Muslim statesmen, for instance, to their children or wives, or to other people liked or respected by them. These slaves, after we have sold them, will gradually approach the statesmen. Becoming their mothers and governesses, they will encircle Muslim statesmen like a bracelet girding a wrist. 11. Missionary areas must be widened so as to penetrate into all social classes and vocations, especially into professions as medicine, engineering and bookkeeping. We must open centres of propaganda and publication under such names as churches, schools, hospitals, libraries and charity institutions in the Islamic countries, spread them far and near. 
We must distribute millions of Christian books free of charge. We must publish the Christian history and intergovernmental law alongside the Islamic history. We must disguise our spies as monks and nuns and place them in churches and monasteries. We must use them as leaders of Christian movements. These people will at the same time detect all the movements and trends in the Islamic world and report to us. We must institute an army of Christians who will, under such names as professor, scientist and researcher, distort and defile the Islamic history, learn all the facts about Muslims' ways, behaviour and religious principles, and then destroy all their books and eradicate the Islamic teachings. 12. We must confuse the minds of the Islamic youth, boys and girls alike, and arouse doubts and hesitations in their minds as to Islam. We must completely strip them of their moral values by means of schools, books, magazines, sports clubs, publications, movies, television, and our own agents trained for this job. We must open clandestine societies to educate and train Jewish, Christian and other non-Muslim youths and use them as decoys to trap the Muslim youth. 13. Civil wars and insurrections must be provoked. Muslims must always be struggling with one another as well as against non-Muslims so that their energies will be wasted and improvement and unity will be impossible for them. Their mental dynamisms and financial sources must be annihilated. Young and active ones must be done away with. Their orders must be rendered into terror and anarchy. 14. Their economy must be raised in all areas. Their sources of income and agricultural areas must be spoilt. Their irrigation channels and lines must be devastated and rivers dried up. The people must be made to hate the performance of salat and working, and sloth must be made as widespread as possible. Playgrounds must be opened for lazy people. Narcotics and alcoholic spirits must be made common. The articles we have cited above were explained very clearly with such aids as maps, pictures and charts. I thank the Secretary for giving me a copy of this magnificent document. After a month's stay in London, I received a message from the Ministry ordering me to go to Iraq to see Mohammed of Najd again. As I was leaving for my mission, the Secretary said to me, Never be negligent about Mohammed of Najd, as it is understood from the reports sent by our spies up until now, Muhammad of Najd is a typical fool, very convenient for the realisation of our purposes. Talk frankly with Muhammad of Najd. Our agents talked with him frankly in Isfahan, and he accepted our wishes on terms. The terms he stipulated are he would be supported with adequate property and weaponry to protect himself against statesmen and Islamic scholars who would certainly attack him upon his announcing his ideas and views. A principality would be established in his country, be it a small one. The ministry accepted these terms. I felt as if I were going to fly from joy when I heard this news. I asked the secretary what I was supposed to do about this. His reply was, 
The ministry has devised a subtle scheme for Muhammad of Najd to carry out as follows. 1. He is to declare all Muslims as disbelievers and announce that it is halal to kill them, to seize their property, to violate their chastity, to make their men slaves and their women concubines, and to sell them at slave markets. 2. He is to state that the Kaaba is an idol, therefore it must be demolished. Footnote. Persons, statues or icons worshipped, offered prostrations to and looked on as the only authority to provide one's wishes are called idols. Muslims do not offer their prostrations to the Kaaba. Turning towards the Kaaba, they offer their protestations to Allah Ta'ala. In each prayer of Salat, after performing their prostration towards the Kaaba, they recite the Surah Fatiha. It is purported in this Surah, O you, the unique only one, Rab of Alams, Universe, you alone do we worship, from you alone do we ask for everything. In order to do away with the worship of Hajj, he is to provoke tribes to raid groups of Muslim pilgrims, to plunder their belongings, and to kill them. 3. He is to strive to dissuade Muslims from obeying the Caliph. He is to provoke them to revolt against him. He is to prepare armies for this purpose. He is to exploit every opportunity to spread the conviction that it is necessary to fight against the notables of Hejaz a region in the west of Saudi Arabia, and bring disgrace on them. 4. He is to allege that the shrines, domes and sacred places in Muslim countries are idols and polytheistic social environments, must therefore be demolished. He is to do his best to produce occasions for insulting Prophet Muhammad, his caliphs and all prominent scholars of madhabs. 5. He is to do his utmost to encourage insurrections, oppressions and anarchy in Muslim countries. 6. He is to try to publish a copy of the Quran interpolated with additions and excisions, as is the case with hadiths. Footnote. It would be a very grave slander to assert that there are additions and excisions in the hadith sharifs in the well-known and authentic books of hadith. Person who has learned how thousands of Hadith scholars compiled Hadith sharifs could never tell such an abominable lie, nor would he believe lies of this sort. After explaining this six paragraph scheme, Secretary added Do not panic at this huge program, for our duty is to sow the seeds for annihilating Islam. There will come generations to complete this job. The British government has formed it a habit to be patient and to advance step by step. Wasn't Prophet Muhammad, the performer of the great and bewildering Islamic revolution, a human being after all? And this Muhammad of Najd of ours has promised to accomplish this revolution of ours like his prophet. A couple of days later, I took permission from the minister and the secretary, bid farewell to my family and friends, and set out for Basra. As I left home, my little son said, Come back soon, Daddy. My eyes became wet.
I could not conceal my sorrow from my wife. After a tiresome journey, I arrived in Basra at night. I went to Abdurriza's home and woke him up. He was very much pleased when he saw me. He offered me warm hospitality. I spent the night there. The next morning he said to me, Mohammed of Najd called on me, left this letter for you and left. I opened the letter. He wrote he was leaving for his country, Najd, and gave his address there. I at once set out to go there too. After an extremely onerous journey, I arrived there. I found Mohammed of Najd in his home. He had lost a lot of weight. I did not say anything concerning this to him. Afterwards, I learned that he had got married. We decided between us that he was to tell other people that I was his slave and was back from some place he had sent me. He introduced me as such. I stayed with Mohammed of Najd for two years. We made a program to announce his call. Eventually, I fermented his resolution in 1730-1143. Hence, by collecting supporters around himself, he insinuated his call by making covert statements to those who were very close to him. Then, day by day, he expanded his call. I put guards around him in order to protect him against his enemies. I gave them as much property and money as they wanted. Whenever the enemies of Muhammad of Najd wanted to attack him, I inspirited and heartened them. As his call spread wider, the number of his adversaries increased. From time to time he attempted to give up his call, especially when he was overwhelmed by the multitude of the attacks made on him. Yet I never left him alone and always encouraged him. I would say to him, O oh, Muhammad, the Prophet suffered more persecution than you have so far. You know, this is a way of honour. Like any other revolutionist, you would have to endure some difficulty. Enemy attack was likely any moment. I therefore hired spies on his adversaries. Whenever his enemies meant harm to him, the spies would report to me, so I would neutralise their harm. Once I was informed that the enemies were to kill him, I immediately took the precautions to thwart their preparations. When the people around Muhammad of Najd heard about this plot of their enemies, they began to hate them all the more. They fell into the trap they had laid. Muhammad of Najd promised me that he would implement all the six articles of the scheme and added, For the time being, I can execute them only partly. He was right in this word of his. At that time it was impossible for him to carry out all of them. He found it impossible to have the Kaaba demolished. And he gave up the idea of announcing that it, the Kaaba, is an idol. In addition, he refused to publish an interpolated copy of the Quran. Most of his fears in this respect were from the sheriffs in Mecca and the Istanbul government. He told me that, if we make these two announcements, we would be attacked by a powerful army. I accepted his excuse. He was right. Conditions were not favourable at all. A couple of years later, the Ministry of the Commonwealth managed to cajole Mohammed bin Sud, the Amir of Deriyah, into joining our lines. 
sent me a messenger to inform me about this and to establish a mutual affection and cooperation between the two Muhammads. For earning Muslims' hearts and trust, we exploited our Muhammad of Naj religiously. Muhammad bin sued politically. It is an historical fact that states based on religion have lived longer and have been more powerful and more imposing. Thus, we continuously became more and more powerful. We made Deriyah City our capital, and we named our new religion the Wahhabi religion. The ministry supported and reinforced the Wahhabi government in an underhanded way. The new government brought 11 British officers, very well learned in the Arabic language and desert warfare, under the name of slaves. We prepared our plans in cooperation with these officers. Both Muhammads followed the way we showed them. When we did not receive any orders from the ministry, we made our own decisions. We all married girls from tribes. We enjoyed the pleasure of a Muslim wife's devotion to her husband. Thus we had stronger relations with tribes. Everything goes well now. Our centralization is becoming more and more vigorous each day. Unless an unexpected adversity takes place, we shall eat the fruit we have prepared. But we have done whatever is necessary and sown the seeds. Warning. A person who reads this book with attention will realize that Islam's archenemy is the British and will know very well that the Wahhabi sect, whose votaries have been attacking the Sunni Muslims all over the world, was founded and is being supported by the British. This book provides with documentaries that the Wahhabi sect was founded by British unbelievers with a view to annihilating Islam. We hear that heretics in every country are striving to spread Wahhabism. There are even people who claim that Hemphis confessions are imaginary stories written by others. But they cannot furnish any evidence to prove this claim of theirs. Those who read Wahhabite books and learn the inner, essential facts about them realize that these confessions are true. Wahhabis help demolish Islam. No matter how hard they may try, they will not be able to annihilate the Al-Sunnah, who are true Muslims, but they themselves will perish instead. For Allah gives the good news through the 81st ayah to Surah Isra that the heretics that will appear will be beaten and annihilated by the people of the right way.